It's Friday. You know what that means. Florida Gators, Texas A&M Aggies tomorrow. How will this game go? I, I think I know what Florida needs to do to win it, so we'll talk about that here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We're available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy Friday. I'm Brandon Olson. Twitter is WNS underscore Brandon. Written work with whole nine sports and Giants Country of SI.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog. Sign up on underdogfantasy.com with the promo code Locked On and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. And we're, we're just jumping right into it. That's what we're doing. Uh, Florida takes on Texas A&M tomorrow, noon Eastern time. And I want to say that this might be one of the easier games for Florida game plan wise. Uh, execution is a whole other story. And we know how Florida has been on that front. But I think game plan wise, it's pretty simple. Uh, first and foremost, offensively, run the damn ball. Simple as that. Uh, Texas A&M has a bad run defense. They are one of two run defenses in the SEC worse than Florida. It's Texas A&M and it's Auburn. Um, so pretty sure that means run that rock. Uh, Texas A&M, they have a young front and a bad front. Simple as that. Like, like their defensive line is bad. They'll get better because, again, they're young, so they'll get better as time moves on. But until they do, the Florida Gators and many other football teams should just run the ball. Luckily for the Florida Gators, this year is one of the few years in recent history that Florida's actually had a good offensive line that can create some movement up front, that can create explosive runs. They've done that this entire year, and yeah, we could talk about how most of Anthony Richardson's explosive runs have come off of him scrambling. Um, but that that's not really the case with the running game itself. Montreal Johnson has been about as explosive as any back in the country. Trevor Etienne has been about as explosive as, yeah, any back in the country. They've been incredibly, I want to say dynamic. I don't want to say they're, that's really corny to say they're the, the dynamic duo. Um but in a way, they are. They're a duo of running backs that are incredibly dynamic playmakers. So, sure, they're Batman and Robin. Um, but I, I think that that's got to be a very key focal point to the offense here, especially when you look at one thing that I'm incredibly interested to see. Justin Shorter, questionable. Um, we'll see what happens game time. But at tight end, Keon Zipper is out. You've got Dante Zanders who plays that more of like a blocking tight end role. And Jonathan Odom is starting with Dante Sanders, which is interesting because they're both that little blocking archetype is what we'll call it. So you've got two pretty solid blocking tight ends. You've got maybe your best pass catcher out. And by that, I mean, he's been your best catch, your best pass catcher 
but he might be out. You've got a good offensive line. You've got two incredibly talented running backs, a very athletic quarterback, and you're going up against a defensive front that has been god-awful against the run. Does it get easier than that game plan-wise? Because I, I really don't think it does. I don't. Uh, then also, when, when you look at throwing the ball, I think you got to throw it deep. I think that's the biggest thing because there's, there's a few advantages to that. And I know that I always say this where I'm like, hey, you just make them defend it. It doesn't have to work. You just have to challenge them vertically so they can't key in on the run. They can't key in on the short pass. And I still think that that's a very fair idea behind it. I, I think that's a very good idea to throw the ball deep and whether or not it works. It's relevant, but you don't need it to work. It's just a matter of making them defend you deep. And I am so tired of people telling me that Texas A&M's pass defense is so good. I think their pass defense looks good specifically because their rushing defense sucks. And it's a, it's as simple as that. Uh, this is an untested Texas A&M secondary. They were great to start the year, first few games with, uh, Sam Houston State, App State, even though they lost, Miami, they were great deep downfield. Since then, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Arkansas have all had success throwing the ball. And once they got to the SEC, SEC offenses had success throwing the ball deep. And these aren't even offenses that are typically fantastic deep ball throwers. Ole Miss is a rushing offense more than anything else. Arkansas likes to run the ball. Bama didn't even try to throw the deep ball against Texas A&M. I don't know why, but they didn't even try it. But it's one of those things where it, it's clear to me that this is not a great Texas A&M secondary, despite what the numbers might say. I think that the numbers say they haven't been tested deep. So Florida, you should test them. And a big key of that is making them, yes, making them defend the deep ball. Not only that, it just prevents you from being able to stack the box. I still want you to go 12 personnel heavy, but I want you to throw that rock with it. Like, I think that's an important part where when people say, oh, go 12 personnel, run the ball, you just think, and then when you throw the ball, slant, screen, swing, these little these little dink and dunk passes. No, I want you to either run the ball or throw it 40 yards downfield. That's what I want you to do because I really don't think Texas A&M is going to do a good job defending it. I don't think Texas A&M is a good defense. I don't think they're a good offense. I don't think they're a good football team. And I've been saying for years, Jimbo Fisher's not a bad coach. But he's definitely overrated. Um, and, and I think that Florida... Uh, for some reason, Florida is the underdog in this game. I don't know why. Uh, they should be favored. But more money for me, right? Because in my mind, I'm like, Florida's the better team here. Florida should win this game. I've said that before, and Florida lost the game. But here, Florida's the better team, clearly, to me. I think they both have their deficiencies. I think people are overrating Texas A&M secondary. I, I don't think they're that good. I'm very interested to see how they get challenged. And if you run the ball, you take deep shots, and you just don't turn the ball over, this should be a win for Florida's offense. It should. It's as simple as that. We're about to take a look at what the Florida Gators defense can do to defend the Texas A&M offense. 
But first, this episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up college football season. It's easy to play and win cold, hard cash. And I know that this weekend, for this game specifically, the way that I will make money, Montreal Johnson rushing yards, Anthony Richardson rushing yards, and Devin Akane rushing yards, or A-Chain rushing yards for Texas a because you, you can't pick them all from the same team. Why not pick the guy that's going up against a, a bad run defense, right? Why not do it? You can sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. You deposit $100, you get another $100 free. Thanks again for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. And when you look at how the Florida Gators defense can attack and approach this Texas A&M offense, I think you got to see the thing that we've been asking for from Patrick Tony and, and the rest of this Florida Gators staff. Man-to-man press coverage. You saw it happen a little bit against Georgia it was effective when it was called. Georgia, irrelevant to my reasoning behind this. I think that seeing them do it against Georgia makes me, it gives me a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope that they'll actually do it. But it's more so, I am not scared of Texas A&M's receivers. They have a couple solid guys like Evan Stewart, who Gators fans, yeah, you're uh, you're familiar with. But Texas A&M has a couple solid receivers, but nobody that strikes fear into my heart or into the heart of any defender on that Florida Gators team. So I think that you say, hey, like we trust our guys to win the one-on-ones against you. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to put them in one-on-one situations and see what happens there. Think you play man coverage. And I, I think that it's helpful with this. Like I said, Jimbo Fisher overrated. His offense is no longer a modern offense. When it was 2013 and 2014, what he was doing was still considered modern. That was almost a decade ago. What he's doing now is basically Stone Age offense. So I think that's pretty helpful when you play man defense where you say, okay, the Aggies offense, not super creative. It's just not. Most of their receivers don't run a full route tree um, often. Like, they'll run every route in the route tree, or the the route tree, like the one that you would think of, the typical route tree. Um, They don't run them often, though, and it's not super creative. Like, you got to watch for hitches. You got to watch for slants. You got to watch for go balls. You got to watch for a couple other things but you don't be scared of them. And I think that the simplicity of this Texas A&M passing attack really helps when you want to play man defense because you kind of know what to expect. You kind of, they snap the ball, you kind of sit on the slant and see what happens. And if they run the slant, you run the slant, you kind of sit. And if they don't run the slant right away, then you drop back and you're like, okay, I'm watching the curl next. And if they don't curl, then you're pretty much like, okay, I think they're going deep. And those are kind of the three main routes that I think you need to watch when you play Texas A&M. They're not super creative. I also will say, I think part of it is that they might be limited by Connor Wegman um, right now. You know, a, a first year starter, it's what, his second game starting now outside of the Ole Miss one last week. So I think that you, you kind of got to, kind of got to chug along if you're this Texas A&M offense. And that that means good things for the Florida Gators defense. I think that it gives you a pretty uh, a, a pretty sound base for what you're doing. If you're listening to this, uh, you will know what time I'm recording this because right now Desmond Ricks just said that he's committing on December 23rd, 2022. 
He is down to Florida, LSU, and Alabama, which is going to be interesting because, I mean, those are kind of the three schools that we've all been feeling. But it's nice to see the Florida State not in there. Of course, recently reclassified, but that's for another day. Um, actually, that's for yesterday's bonus episode of Lockdown Gators that came out. So, boom, there's that. Uh, but I think another thing that you have to do with this Florida Gators defense against the Texas A&M offense I think you blitz them, whether you want to do a fire zone and send five, drop six into a zone, whether you want to just call cover zero, cover one with a blitzer, whatever you want to do, I think that you send five or six on just about every play. Because, or if you want, if you got, you know, running back to the right of the QB, then send pressure from the left of the QB and drop back your right end because you're like, well, guess what? They're probably not running to that right side. If you want to do that and you want to overload things but still keep seven guys in coverage, go ahead and do that. But I will say, I think every play you should send five or six if you're the Florida Gators. Primarily because, again, Texas A&M, they're going to want to run the ball with Devin Chain. That's what they're going to want to do. If you're sending five or six, you're either muddying the line of scrimmage for versus the run, whether you're sending five and it's like, okay, well now every offensive lineman needs to win their one-on-one as opposed to we just need one defensive lineman to win their one-on-one. I like the odds there. I do. So I think that that's an advantage there. If you're sending six, you probably have a free rushing linebacker or a free rushing, uh, maybe, maybe star or slot, um, star or safety, whichever one is going to come in. And I think that you're really making life difficult for that Texas A&M offense. You're muddying the line of scrimmage. You're creating havoc where they don't want havoc. And against the pass, you're creating havoc in the backfield where, guess who's quarterback? Connor Wegman, who I have nothing against Connor Wegman. He's not even played enough to give a fair evaluation. What I will say, he's pretty athletic. We know this. He is very inexperienced. We know this. Like, that is just a fact. I don't care what he did in high school. I don't care anything about that. He's inexperienced at the college level. You send the kitchen sink at him, and you just make his you, – you speed up his mental processing speed, and you see what happens. Because if you rush him, and he's a college kid – look, even if you're a college senior, and even if you're some of these, some of these younger NFL QBs, it's hard to quickly adjust to what's happening. If, you're, if you've got no experience and you've got this pressure coming in, you've got creepers dropping back and you're seeing a DN drop back in the coverage and you're seeing all this stuff that you were not anticipating, which yes, you will be anticipating blitzes, you will be anticipating creepers, you will, you will be anticipating sim pressure stuff, but you still have to then make the right call after the snap. It's incredibly difficult. That's one of the reasons where I think I think Florida is a better football team here, but I really think having such an experienced quarterback against such a creative defensive play caller is going to kind of going to kind of shoot you in the foot if you're Texas A&M. It's going to really cause a little bit of a struggle. But enough of that. Now we're going to talk about what has been blowing up Florida Gators every social media platform the past few weeks, which is the roster turmoil. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. To wrap up today's show, we're talking about this roster turmoil is what I'm calling it. In the past few weeks, Florida Gators fans have seen Josh Braun, Marco Ortiz, and Kamar Wilcoxon all say they're, they plan on hitting the portal on December 5th. We know the Kamari Wilson, Kamar Wilcoxon thing with me. That's really fun. Yeah, whatever. Um, I, I just, I'm not going to waste my breath talking about it on air. Britton Cox kicked off the team. I'm going to tell you all right now, 
that I think that for Florida Gators fans, it's going to get worse before it gets better as far as the actual roster composition here. I, I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And by that, I mean portal season, December 5th, kids get at the portal. I think you're going to see a total of 12 to 18 Gators hit the portal. And I think that a lot of Gators fans are going to be pissed about that. I think they're going to be very upset. And Gators fans, I I know Gators fans enough where I can say I think that when 12 to 18 guys hit the portal, including a couple starters, you're going to be pissed and you're going to be calling for Billy Napier's head because that's what Gators fans do. And, and that's, you know, to an extent, that's okay. That is what it is. I will say this. I think it'll be a good thing overall for the program. I do, because one, you've got a ton of commits for this upcoming class. So you've got that where you're gonna see um you're you're gonna see some of these freshmen get playing time over some seniors who would have who will transfer out. You would rather they leave than come back and be upset and mad and then have more roster locker room issues, right? At least I would. I'd be like, hey. Rather than have player X be mad that there's, I don't know, seven DB commits and he got pushed below three of them, I'd rather him see him just leave now. Like that could be the case with Kamar Wilcoxon who said he's going to hit the portal. He hasn't played much this year. With all the DBs coming in, it probably wasn't looking great for him to still be here next year and get playing time. So he left. It's fine. I will also say Josh Brown, Mark Ortiz, Kamar Wilcoxon, I feel like all of them, um, I feel like all of them left on, on solid turns. I know Kamar Wilcoxon had some disciplinary issues, uh, but, but chose to leave the program, whatever it is. Uh, don't care for getting into it, but that's that. But you'll have all these commits coming in where you've got a big commit class. You needed to clear up scholarships anyway. Yes, the 25 scholarship limit per year, at that, that limit is dropped, but you still need to have no more than 85 scholarships on roster. So why even bother? You don't have to cut kids now. Now you can just say, hey, you're going to the portal. That's great for you. Thanks for giving us a scholarship opportunity back. Appreciate that. Simple as that. Also, Florida is going to bring in transfer portal talent. Look at what Billy did in the portal this year. He's just going to show all the portal kids. Look what we did with Osiris Torrance. Look what we did with Montreal Johnson. Hopefully he's not going to tell them what happened with Ricky Pearsall because that Ricky Pearsall has been great. He just has not been used whatsoever as a portal kid. Um, so I think that for Florida, yeah, fans, you're going to be pissed. You're going to be mad. I, I fully understand it. Um, don't necessarily agree with it because I feel like it gets really toxic, but you're going to see guys leave. Most of the players who leave are going to be depth players but you're still going to be upset, and I get that. I, I will say, I think I'd be concerned if it was 2022 freshmen that transfer out. Because if you're a Mullen kid and you you know, you know give it your year in Gainesville to see how you feel with Billy Napier and to see how you mesh and to, see, and to get a feel for the program and you want to leave, that's fine. The issue for me would be if 2022 commits transfer out, that's not a great look. I, if kids that only came to Gainesville because Billy Napier was like, hey, 
we can make you great. We can make this happen. We could do this. And, and he promised things. If that, if those promises are not fulfilled and kids want to transfer out, that's a horrible look that you couldn't even keep some of these commits for a year. That'd be a very bad look if you see these 2022 kids leave out. But next year, after the offseason, which will be rough for Gators fans, I'm letting you know now, like this is fair warning, your offseason will be rough. But next year, the huge majority of this Florida Gators roster will be kids that are bought into the program, kids that are bought into the coaching staff, kids that are bought into the University of Florida and want to win games at the University of Florida. This is a Florida team that, yeah, they're four and four. Three of their four games they lost were incredibly close games. Three of their four or all four of their games were lost by teams that are in the top 30 in the country right now. Like, so, so you didn't lose to scrubs. You lost to good teams and you beat a good team in Utah. I, I think that that's kind of being overlooked just looking at the four and four record. But Florida's played up, I think. I don't think the Florida Gators roster is as good as it's looked right now. I think they've played up to four and four right now. I think that's a great thing to see. I will say also, not a single ounce of quit in this Gators team under Billy Napier. You look at the Georgia game, 28-3 at half. They could have just rolled over and died. They brought it back to 28-20 before it went off the rails again. But not an ounce of quit in this team, and that's a very important distinction to make, I think. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we're available daily and free wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back. You'll have a bonus episode tonight. You'll have two episodes tomorrow as well as a live stream after the game. You'll have two episodes Sunday. You'll have two episodes Monday, maybe a live stream after the basketball game on Monday. Who knows? Make your second listen Lockdown SEC hosted by Chris Gordy of Sports 790. Get the best coverage on the best conference, including the best university. University of Florida for Lockdown Gators. I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find all my written work with Whole Nine Sports and Giants Country of SI.com. And I'll see you all tomorrow.